0: Oh, good evening The strange world we live in and uh, i 'm going to be reading from Genesis in chapter two and verse four to twenty five and uh, we live in a confused world, and the Bible has a lot to say about what so many people struggle with and i 've been studying genesis and um, I make no apology about returning to it. I preached it in Lake Road a couple of weeks back. But we're in um, Genesis 2, and I'll read from verse 4. Let's pray before we start. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me the words to say that ultimately I would speak well of Jesus and his gospel. Our only hope in life and death In his precious name, Amen. So, Genesis 2 and verse 4 these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land. And was watering the whole face of the ground. I noticed that on the way in. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the, of the tree, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The first, the name of the first is the Pishon. It, it was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of this ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said this at last, is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Genesis 2 is a picture of the way that things are supposed to be. And the way that things will be once again. In verse 4, we're introduced to the first of 10 Toldoth sections in the book of Genesis. Uh, This is the generation. There's 10 in the book of Genesis. The Hebrew word is Toldoth. And after the opening prelude to the symphony, when God created the heavens and the earth and all things in seven days, now we see the first of the Toldoths, the first of the generations. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Just note the reversal of the order there in verse four. In the beginning, it's heavens and the earth. Second half of the verse is earth and heavens. Perhaps telling us that we're now moving from the cosmic scene of looking at how God created the universe to now focus in on the earth. And we see in particular how God made the man and the woman and the garden and the trees. And we see that what God made is good. It is a striking image that God planted a garden. He provided for every shrub and bush. The picture is, it's a beautiful picture. Streams coming up from the earth to water the ground some kind of underground aquifer. birds are flying, fish are swimming. As Louis Armstrong said, what a wonderful world. It was good. It is a good world that God has made. The trees are growing tall and strong. They are bearing fruit. The animals came peaceably before Adam that he might name them. He didn't run from them and they didn't run from him. They came peaceably and gently that, and, uh, that he might name each one. The world as God created it in its wonder and its splendor, the creation of man is very good. Man is made from the dust of the earth. Man on the one hand is, on the, is from the dust of the earth quite literally, but man is also the crown of creation. If you could but always remember that both are true about you. Psalm 103. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. That is who we are. You came from the ground, the man did. The woman from the man. But we're not just dust, brothers and sisters. We are the crown of creation. We're the pinnacle. We are the climax of the creation week. We are made in God's image. And God's likeness. We alone are brought to life by the very breath of God. So we're dependent on God, and at the same time, we have from Him this God-given nobility that no other creature has except for man. Perhaps Winston Churchill was onto to something when he said, "We are all worms, but I do believe I'm a glowworm." Uh, the creation of man <laughs> is good. Rest was the invention of man, and work was the invention of man. Work is not the result of the fall, by the way. The way that we experience work is a result of the fall. But even before the fall, man was given tasks, responsibilities, and labours. God put Adam into the garden that he might be his sub-gardener. It took effort, it took skill, but it was joyful work. Joyful work. No broken tractors. No thorns and the thistles. No computer crashes. Think of that. No anxious deadlines. No bad bosses, no incompetent employees. No workroom tea room gossip. Just an honest day's work under the smiling face of God. He made us to work. Work is good. Yeah, you heard me say it. Work is very good. The garden is good. Just quickly look at the garden more particularly. The garden is going to be surrounded by cherubim. Just as later the Ark of the Covenant was guarded by cherubim. The temple was built like the garden with carved cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, a night sky. Man was to be a type of priest who would work in the temple to honour the holiness of God, to enjoy his presence. The garden is good. The garden is a temple. And in the midst of the garden, there are two trees. And the tree of life symbolising that men and women will live and move and have their being in God. And only by feeding on the food that God provides will Adam and Eve have ongoing physical, moral, spiritual life. And then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now it's a good tree, but man must not eat from it. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Why? What is wrong with this kind of moral discernment? Well, we read in chapter 3, verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. God means that Adam knew. Himself, what it was to stake out his own path. The tree was the symbol of moral autonomy, the right to decide for ourselves what is best for us. Eating it was not knowledge to gain information, but it was the experience to choose for yourself what is good and what is evil. And that is why the tree was off limits. It was a test of obedience. God saying, Will you trust me? Will you trust God? God provided a tree of life. And so the first question was, will you acknowledge that your whole life depends on me? I am the Lord God, your creator, your sustainer, your lawgiver, your ruler. You can eat of any tree, but this tree you may not eat. Why? Because you do not have the right to decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. So eat freely from the garden except for the tree of knowledge of God, good and evil. Brothers and sisters, if only we would trust God. Today, 2020, trust God. And because at least part of the first sin is a failure to believe that God is good. And all around, we see the effect of that. A failure to believe in divine generosity. That he does not withhold one good thing from those he loves. We can see this in our own spirit. We can definitely see it in our children. If you tell your children that you can have anything for dessert, but you just can't have one thing for whatever reason, you know what they want? That one thing. Why? Because they think that the thing that you're not letting them have must be the very best thing. It's doubting that parents know what is best for children. And they doubted that God knew what was good for them. They thought God is keeping something back. So into this scene of paradise is a foreshadowing of what will happen when man tries to be God. All around us we see the chaos of man trying to be God. We see the foreshadowing. If he tried to assert his own moral autonomy in knowing for himself good and evil, on that day there will be death. Physical death, yes, but more importantly, spiritual death. An end to all that is symbolised in the tree of life until God himself makes a plan to redeem his people. There was beauty and there was delight everywhere in Eden. God looked and behold, it was good. It was good, it was good. And on day six, it was very good. Which is why verse 18 is so striking because even before the fall, even in paradise, there was one thing which if left undone would not have been good. It was not good that the man should be alone. Now, we don't know if Adam was lonely or if he felt isolated, but God himself declares that it is not good. There was a moment when there is a man and no woman, and God says, that is not yet good. Think about this. Every other aspect of creation had its counterpart. The day had its sun. The night had its moon. The waters had its fish. The sky had birds. The ground had animals. But the man did not yet have woman. That doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that our lives are incomplete without marriage because we know from the examples of the Lord Jesus and Paul that while marriage is glorious, a creation ordinance, it is not the norm for all. Singleness is precious in the sight of the Lord. But the focus here is in Genesis 2, is on the goodness of God in making them male and female. And I want you to notice three things, just three things that are good. The sameness and the difference and the union. Three things that are good. The sameness, the difference and the union. The sameness, both man and woman were created in the image of God. And that had profound implications that would have been radical for Moses' day. None of Israel's neighbours in the ancient world had a separate account for the creation of woman. No one elevated the status of women as the Genesis account does. We see from the very first chapters that woman is not a lesser creature. She is not in an inferior being. She has equal access to God. She's equal in worth and dignity. 1 Peter 3 verse 7. In Christ We are co-heirs of the grace of life. Man and woman were given joint rule over creation. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Not let him, let them. The creation mandate is given not just to the man, but to the man and the woman. Together, God blessed them, plural. God told them, plural, to have dominion over every living thing. So the male Adam and the female Adam, and the Hebrew word for man is ha-adam. I'm sure Kevin can say it better than me, but ha-adam is the Hebrew word for man and mankind, but it's also going to be the name of the first male. So the male Adam and the female Adam were not made as a superior and inferior. They were created in the same image. They were meant to be, interdependent if you go down to chapter 2 verse 23 adam exclaimed she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man it's a wonderful thing that the lord in the lord's providence that the play on words in hebrew comes out in the play of on words in english in hebrew she shall be called isha for she was taken out of ish And she shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. A woman is a female Adam, a womb, man. A human being with a womb to nurture life. Today, we are told that some people in TEDx talks, for example, that they want to spell woman going forward, W-O-M-X-N. Something that says no we will never have the word man in the word woman. And it is out of step with what God created. It is out of step with the Bible. Because we're meant to see something about our mutual interdependence that the Isha was formed out of the Ish, that the woman comes out of the man. And we lose all verbal recognition that the woman came from the man the man was irreversibly connected to the woman. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 11. In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for a woman was made from man, and man is now born of woman. I can promise you, if you are breathing tonight, you are born from a woman. It's just a fact. So rather than wanting to divide man against woman, the Bible wants to show interdependence. Every woman has her origin ultimately as Eve did from the side of man, she came from man and every man has his origin from a woman, even the Lord Jesus. So we celebrate their sameness, their equality, their interdependence is very, very good. But secondly, their distinction is good. Now even though biology, neuroscience point to genetics, point to all sorts of innate differences between men and women, there are many voices in our world today that despise any notion of sexual distinction or gender difference. And in fact, the way that I'm talking tonight, a lot of people would have a problem with. The way that I just use two words interchangeably is found problematic by many people today. Or maybe the categories are so fluid that they have no meaning whatsoever I don't have to tell you how confused our world is on the one hand we are bombarded every day that the world wants to say men and women there is nothing different there is nothing that one cannot do than the other how dare you point to any distinctions any differences in roles or relationships between men and women the world eradicates all distinction But the world celebrates every time it's the first woman to do this. It celebrates. So at the same time, there is no distinction. And yet, absolutely, we must put the two in opposite corners from each other. Our world is confused. Notice within their joint rule, the man and the woman were given different tasks and created in different realms. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man. And put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam was created outside of the garden and charged with cultivating it and protecting it. A protection under which the woman was meant to flourish. The man was created outside the garden. Eve was created in the garden. Suggesting, as one author puts it, a special relationship to the inner world of the garden. The creation mandate, filling the earth, subduing it, having dominion applies to both, but asymmetrically. It applies to each in a different way. It is a biological fact that the man is endowed with a greater biological strength. What I'm saying here is largely not prescriptive, but we have certain postures and patterns Meaning this is the design in which God made man and woman. And though it is frustrated by sin, we're meant to flourish in embracing these postures and patterns. Remember I said at the outset that we're to trust God. What God has designed is very, very good. It's when we get involved that it gets messed up. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 will make the point that the man was created before the woman, and it often seems strange. But the point is not that he made Adam first, so he likes Adam best, or he is the most important. The order matters because it indicates Adam's position in the creation narrative as protector. And Eve's position as coming from the man's protection, made from his side to be protected and from his side to be his supporter. And that is the point made in verse 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, helper is not a demeaning term. You know who in the Old Testament is most often called a helper? God. Exodus 18, Psalm 33, Psalm 146. The word is Ezer, Helper, Ebenezer. Helper is a functional term, not a demeaning one. So, just as God at times comes alongside to help His people, so the role of woman in relationship is of a helper. Verse eighteen, a helper fit for him, or the footnote corresponding to him. We tend to psycholog- you know, We tend to make it a psychological thing. Adam's aloneness. and maybe you've heard well-meaning. Wedding homilies do this and we interpret helper along the lines of comfort and companionship. That's not inappropriate, but helper cannot be divorced from the broader concerns for the creation mandate. It was not good for man to be alone because by himself he could not be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There are two books that I've read one is from, from a Christian perspective, but one is from a secular that says in in the future, in the future, the only families we have in children will be religious families. You know, because you know, I mean, the way that the world is going, you can order children. But you know, but religious families in the future are meant that the only families who will have children in the future will be religious families. That's the, that is the forecast one by a secular and and, and not only Christian, obviously, but religious families. It's not good for man to be alone because by himself he cannot multiply and fill the earth. That is a fact. So here again we see the complementarian nature of male and female. You see, if Adam's aloneness was only psychological, and he needed a companion, I can tell you that God would have given, created a a black Labrador because a black Labrador is the best companion in the world. I promise you, sorry, and uh, please don't tell my wife I said that, but you understand what I mean. Uh, If he just needed help to till the garden, why not just make him a muscle-bound man to help him alongside it? Or give Adam oxen, or a fraternity of manly friends all which would have been useful. It would have been, may have been delightful, I have to be careful what I say, but none of them would have been a helper fit for him. A helper corresponding to him because it would have not helped the man fulfill the task of producing and rearing children. If mankind is to have dominion on the earth, there must be a man to work a garden There must be the woman to be his helpmate. But there are a few other things here about the distinction. Adam is reckoned as the federal head, the representative. Adam was given the initial command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was tempted by the serpent. But Adam is addressed first because he is the federal head of the human race. Why is it that Eve actually technically sinned first, as Paul make the arguments in Romans 5 that sin came into the world through one man, Adam. Because Adam sinned in Eve's sin, because Eve's sin was a failure on Adam's part. And then he, of course, took an eight. Adam, not Eve, was the federal head of the human race. The man was given responsibility for naming every living creature Twice he named the woman in verse 23 when he calls her Isha because she was taken out of Ish. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. In sum, man and women, man and woman are created in different ways. Genesis 1 describes the making of male and female as a generic act of creation. The Lord God Formed man from the dust of the ground while the Lord God built the woman from the rib he had taken from the man. That's God's order. Man came from the ground and is given the chief responsibility of working with the ground. The woman comes from the man, is tasked with helping the man from what she came. Now that's not saying at all that a woman doesn't have a job outside the home. I have to be very clear about that. If you look at the quintessentially godly woman of Proverbs 31 she's active she's an entrepreneur she's selling she's buying and she stays up all night so the sameness of the man and the woman is very good but the difference is good and thirdly their union is good look at what the man says in verse 23 remember the animals who come before him he has named them And God says, No, that is not it. And Adam recognizes that is not it. When Adam sees Eve to coin a phrase, he is blown away. The first poem in the Bible is a love poem, the first words in human history is a husband singing to his wife. Think about that. The two come together to make one flesh. Adam says, This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Quite literally, this ishah came from this ish. Men and women made of the same stuff, meant for each other, not so that one dissolves into the other, but that the two may become one. And I think it is important to say this that marriage must be and only can be between a man and a woman. Because Marriage is not the union of two persons, but in a profound way, the reunion of a complementary pair. You see, our world wants to define marriage as people who have a special relationship with each other, which they then express in a sexual way. That was never how the Bible defined marriage. The Bible said it is an isha and an ish. It is a womb man and a man that is marriage because it is reunion. You are the sort of person who was taken from the sort of person that I am. You are my rib. You are my isha. And we come together in a reunion, fitted to be fruitful. You can't reduce marriage to purely procreation. And we know on the other side of the fall of not having children. But marriage is the sort of relationship where the man and the woman ought to produce offspring in fulfilment of the divine mandate. Calvin said that something was taken from Adam in order that he might embrace, with greater benevolence, a part of himself. Adam lost the rib, but he gained a far richer reward. Adam was rendered complete by his wife. Matthew Henry, the Puritan though probably not the best exegesis, had lovely theology to say when he said the woman is not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on, but out of his side to be equal with him, Under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Isn't that beautiful? That is simply beautiful. In marriage, The man leaves his family and holds fast to his wife. Verse 24, with everything that we've seen about the man being the head of the household, the man being the federal head of the human race, would you not expect it to say that the woman leaves her parents and holds fast to her husband? But we're told the opposite, which makes sense when we realize that sexual differentiation is not about first place man, second place woman. It's about order and design. The inner world of the garden is the the concern of the woman. Radiating out from the family is shaped by the help and nurture of the woman. So I do not think it is a stretch to say emotional intimacy, communion are fostered and formed in a unique way by women. And such, in a relational sense, her family order takes precedent over the man. The woman is the one through whom the bonds of relationship, a communion, Are fostered, and I know this to be true. The husband is often just along for the ride. I'm glad my wife has friends, so I can have some friends too. But of all the things that are good in the garden, God spends most of the time showing us that the design of male and female is good. There's co-equality, but there's difference and distinction, which makes what they're coming together so amazingly good. I wanted to paint you a picture of how good it is what God has done. It is good. It is very good. Why is the sexual act considered the consummation of marriage that they may fulfill uniquely the creation mandate? It is really amazing. Not all of us will be married. Some of us have painful experiences with marriage. Some of us are mourning a spouse but we can see how significant it is. Life in the garden is good. The land was good, creation was good, work was good, male and female was good. It was good. A perfect innocence, naked and unashamed. They had nothing to hide, no shame, no embarrassment, fully upright, fully honourable, perfect relationship, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, perfect relationship. Man with God. Male with female. Perfect worship. Perfect work. Perfect obedience. Perfect love. That is what we long for. And that is what we will return to. Because. At the beginning of the Bible there's a wedding. And at the end of the Bible there is a wedding. The Bible starts with marriage. And it ends with marriage. And it ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there. There. We're ushered into a new heaven and a new earth with white linen robes. And it speaks to this same reality. Naked and unashamed, clean, unafraid, washed, redeemed. Heaven grants us the return to innocence. It is the same idea in the garden. They stood there unashamed. None of us enjoys this naked and unashamed like they did in the garden. But all of us, if you know the Lord Jesus, can enjoy the white robes and the marriage supper that is to come. Because the union of the husband and the wife is giving way to a better union, a more important union, one that doesn't depend on whether you're married or single, And whether God finds for you a husband or a wife but depends on faith and repentance as the bride of Christ is joined to the groom and we are his. And he is ours forever and ever. Amen. I think we're going to...